0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. Our text this morning is what I read to the children and the children's message is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Before we begin diving into Luke chapter 2, there's one thing that I want to say that has always been interesting to me and also helpful. Many scholars, conservative New Testament scholars across the board understand that Luke is receiving words from Peter, the Apostle Peter. He's informing Luke about what to write in his Gospel and in Acts. But these same scholars also believe that one of the other main sources, think about this, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so imagine Mary telling Luke about the birth of the Son of God and the Son of Man. I think it, to me, it makes the text resonate all the more. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. Let us stand out of reverence for the Word of God. Hear the Word of the Lord this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. So from time to time, looking at email and I'll get sidetracked doing work on my computer and I find myself looking at videos on YouTube that are funny or they're instructional, they're helpful. And not too long ago, there was a posting about birth announcements gone wrong. I think some of you have seen these. They're quite funny. Um, people hitting an object and missing and the, the father-to-be falling. And it's, it's just full of good laughs. And there was one in particular where the family was gathered around a table And there was a cake and the plan was to cut a piece and to bring it out and lift it up and the piece of cake on the inside would be either blue or pink and so the rest of the family would know that it was either a boy or a girl and apparently this must have been close to Christmas time because the young lady cuts the piece of cake and you could see her face begin to cringe And she lifts it up for her family to see. And her husband, not realizing what is happening, says, it's a... And the piece of cake on the inside is green and red with a white cream filling in the middle. It's a Christmas cake. Clearly the bakery has given them the wrong cake. And without missing a clue, perhaps it was an older brother or a younger brother. Brothers are good at doing this. Off in the distance, he says, "It's a Christmas miracle," and everybody laughs amidst a very uh, sad situation. The birth announcement gone completely wrong. Mistakes were made. I'm sure the bakery received an earful the next morning. Our text is a birth announcement. When we come to the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, verses one through seven. Luke is saying, here is the birth of Jesus. It is a baby boy. The piece of cake is blue. And this piece of cake is announcing the greatest birth that has ever occurred in the history of the human race. Luke, in this birth announcement in chapter 2, is wanting to make it very clear to us That this child, is three things. The Davidic King, the sinless Savior, and the humble King. Those are the three things that he's trying to get across to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that Your Word speaks truth to us, to our hearts and to our souls. We thank You that through Your Word, we hear King Jesus speak. And so, Lord, we pray that You would work in our hearts and that You would work in our souls, that You would amend us, that You would help us to understand the significance of Your life and Your death and Your resurrection on a greater level and that it would cause in us greater obedience and greater worship. Thank You for the grace that this season brings to Your people. Thank you for coming for us. Amen. I want us to look at verse 4 and 5. And we, I want to answer the question what child is this? Based on the song that we sang earlier today in worship. What child is this? And the first answer is the Davidic king. So let's look at verses 4 and 5. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea. To where? The city of David. And what was the city of David called? Bethlehem. And why did David, excuse me, why did Joseph go to Bethlehem? Because he was in the house and lineage of David. He belonged to that line. When we think about Christmas and we look at Christmas decorations, we often see Joseph in manger scenes or in paintings or on Christmas cards. And for the most part, Joseph seems an afterthought. It's Mary who is the virgin. It is Mary where the great miracle has occurred. She is the vessel by which the Son of Man, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will enter into time and space in order to redeem and reconcile His people. And then there's Joseph just seemingly in the background being nice to Mary, understanding the situation that Mary is going through. But the truth, the reality of the matter is that Joseph is significantly important. We don't know a lot about him from the Gospels. We only see him in a few places. And it seems like he passed away at some point in Jesus' early life because he's not mentioned at all in the latter accounts. Joseph is very important to the Christmas story because he is Jesus' adopted father. And Joseph is in the line of David. The Davidic covenant was significantly important to the people of God both in the Old Testament and to us today. The promises God made with his people that he would deliver them, that he would save them, that there would be a king, the son of the king of David, who would rule on the throne forever. The Davidic covenant, excuse me, the Davidic covenant brought fulfillment to all the other covenants that came before. So when you look at all of the covenants leading up into the one that's made with David, is God remembering his promises? Is God saving his people? Is God going? Excuse me, it's God remembering the promise made in Genesis three fifteen where he would crush the head of the serpent. So it's an interlocking message of redemption. And so I want us to look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17. I don't normally read a text this long, but this is very important for us to understand Joseph and to understand Jesus, to understand what is taking place. In the manger in Bethlehem. So, if you will, turn in your Bibles in the Old Testament to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin with verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord's of hosts, to David, So Nathan goes to King David and he says to him, the Lord is making a covenant with you. And the covenant is that God is going to bring about His kingdom. And that one of your sons who will sit on the throne of the house of David will inaugurate and establish this kingdom. And through the kingdom, God is going to restore all things to perfection. And in this coming kingdom, God will dwell with His people in perfection, in peace, perfect shalom forevermore. David, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do through your lineage. And so when we come to our text in Luke chapter 2, when we come to the manger scene, we see Mary, the vessel by which the Son of Man will come and bring about the kingdom of God. The vessel by which the Son of Man will enter this earth free from sin in order to redeem us from sin. But here is Joseph. And he is a son of David. And he is going to be the adoptive father of King Jesus. And so the reason that we can say King Jesus is because of who Joseph is and who he belongs to and that he goes to Bethlehem. And so he's a very significant figure to this story because of Joseph, Jesus can fulfill the covenant that God has made with King David that one of his sons will establish the kingdom and he will dwell on the throne forever. And when we look at the covenant that God has made with David, two incredible things stand out in verse 13 and in the latter part of verse 14. It says in 13, He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is a kingdom in Jesus that you belong to. This is a kingdom that is here in part now and one day will come in all its fullness. It's a kingdom where the effects of sin, the curse of sin, the problems that we face in life, the difficulties that we feel on a day-to-day basis will be done away with. That God in Jesus is bringing you into this kingdom and He is restoring all things to Himself, including you. And so it's unbelievably important that Joseph belongs to King David and that Jesus belongs in an earthly sense to Joseph, that He's His Father. Because that fulfillment means everything to us. And then the second half of verse 14, it says, when He commits iniquity, I will discipline Him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but My steadfast love will not depart from Him. Well, wait a second. Jesus didn't commit any iniquities. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was blameless. Jesus was spotless. Here's the thing that we need to understand based on the covenant that's made with David and then the new covenant that Jesus establishes. We are the ones who are full of iniquity. We are the ones who are sinful through and through. We are the one who broke all of the laws of the covenant. Jesus didn't. But Jesus comes to earth. He comes to this manger scene. And this baby, this newborn king is going to take the punishment for our iniquities. Don't, don't lose sight of how important it is that Jesus is that Davidic King because He's the only one, the only true Israelite who can go to the cross blameless, spotless, and perfect and can take our punishment. Without this Son of David, we are sons of doom and wrath and punishment. That is what He does for us. And notice In verse 14, what it says, that because Jesus is willing to take the punishment for our sins, because Jesus is willing to take the punishment for our covenant disobedience, it says that my steadfast love will not depart from Him. And so it's a blessing of the covenant that Jesus gives to us through faith. The steadfast love of God. This is a season where we think about gifts and presents more than any time the rest of the year. And because Jesus was the son of David, because He was the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, because this Christ child was born to go to the cross, God in turn, our Father in heaven, gives us a gift, and that is His steadfast love. My steadfast love belongs to you now. It will belong to you tomorrow. It will belong to you forever because Jesus has taken the punishment for your iniquities. So don't come into this place with your your head hung low. Don't come into this place with doubt and fears. Come to this, this gym. This place where God is present to worship with your head held high because Jesus and His work on the cross has procured for you the everlasting, steadfast love of God. He loves you. He dies. What child is this? This child is the sinless Savior. Look at the last part of verse 5. It says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now we know from the rest of the gospel stories that the angels appeared to Joseph and to Mary, and that she is made pregnant by the work of God. And this is important. Because Jesus must be born without sin. Mary is the vessel by which the Son of Man enters in to time and space, as I said earlier, in order to obey the covenant perfectly. In order to obey God perfectly. In order to receive the punishment for our iniquities. He cannot be sinful. He has to be perfect. In Jesus we see the beauty and the majesty and the grace and mercy of our Father in Heaven who sends Him for us. Because God had looked upon His people Israel over many, many, many generations and He had given them the covenant and He said, if you will obey it, If you will follow this, I'm going to bless you like you cannot possibly imagine by bringing about the kingdom of God. And time and time and time and time again, Israel is unwilling and unable to obey the covenant. And often we look at Israel and we say, shame on them. If I had been in their shoes and I had seen all that they had seen, I would not have been disobedient. But that's that's foolish speculation. Because I know my heart and the corrupt nature of my heart and the sin that dwells within me, the struggle, that is real. And I know that I would have disobeyed God and I would have disobeyed the covenant as quickly and as easy as Israel in the Old Testament. And so God remembers His promises, the promises that He has made through the covenant, and He says, my people are not going to to ever be perfect. They are never going to be blameless. They are never going to be sinless. I am going to have to rectify the situation myself. I am going to have to come for them. I am their deliverer. I am their Messiah. I am their Redeemer. Their only hope dwells within me. And so He sends His Son in order to accomplish that mission to do that great work. We have theological creeds and confessions that guide our denomination, that help us understand what the Word of God says. And question 16 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And the answer is, because the covenant was made with Adam not only for himself, but also for his posterity, All mankind descending from Him by natural generation sinned in Him and fell with Him in His first transgression. We are connected to our mother and father, Adam and Eve, and their sin has been passed down to us. And so before we even take our first breath, we are sinful people through ordinary generation, natural generation. and we are in need of a fix. We are in need of a solution before we are even born, before we can even sin. We are in need of reconciliation and redemption because of our DNA. You've heard it before many, many times. but I told it to the communicants class the other night. It still rings true. When a child is born, they immediately, you have to work as a parent teaching them to be good and not bad. We have to consistently and repetitively work with our children to be good boys and girls. Our natural inclination coming out of the womb is that we want to do difficult things. We want to do wrong things. And that comes from our first parents. And so God is aware of this. God understands this. God knows what we're like. And so through Mary, the mother of Jesus, God comes for us. It's a rescue mission. And so what does this sinless child, this sinless Savior secure for us? Here, question 19 of the Shorter Chasm. Catechism. What is the misery of that state into which mankind fell? Here's the question. What is the misery of that state into which mankind fell? All mankind, by their fall, lost communion with God, are under His wrath and curse, and so are made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. What did this sinless child, what did this sinless Savior do for us? And here's the answer He restores communion with God. That we cannot enter into the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are apart from Him. Our sin contaminates us. God cannot look upon sin because He is holy. So we're in a bad spot. We have no right to relationship with God. We don't want anything to do with Him. And so He comes for us. This sinless Savior. He comes to us through the manger, through Bethlehem, through the city of David, the Davidic son, the Davidic king. And Mary allows this to happen. It's God who chooses Mary to say, You will be the vessel by which I will bring salvation to My people and I will reestablish communion with them. What child is this? This is the child who enables us to enter into the throne room of grace and to come before the Father in perfection because we belong to His Son. And then thirdly, what child is this? He is the humble king. 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there's a lot of debate about what the manger scene was like and perhaps on some level, maybe our interpretations of it in the past are not correct. But in some sense, there would have been animals and it would not have been a clean place. But I don't think that's the main point. I don't think it's the animals and the smell and the troth and all that that we've, we know or, and believe is that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He's born in a place that amounts to nothing. That He is everything. And thus He should have been born in the greatest kingdom and the greatest castle and the greatest location and His birth proclaimed as the coming of the great King of earth. And I don't know where that would have been at the time Jesus was born. I don't know what kingdom that would be. Perhaps Rome. but That doesn't transpire. It doesn't take place. There's no room for Him in a proper inn. So He's born in this manger, this insignificant place. Just think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, in the throne room of heaven, in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. There is no more holy and more perfect place. When Paul was given a tiny glimpse of heaven, he said, to die is gain. I have now seen this. Yes, to live is for Christ, but to die, that's gain. When Isaiah the prophet was also given a glimpse, it was overwhelming to him. It pierced his eyes. And here's Jesus who resides in this place and He is willing to enter into this location. This broken, fallen, ugly Sinful. The smells of the animal. The insignificance of the location. I am the king of the universe and I am being born here. But that's, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is a humble servant. He is a humble king. And He humbled Himself and He left the throne room of heaven at the request of the Father in obedience to His will to come for us because the Father loved us, because the Father placed His love upon us before all of creation. That is who Jesus is. I am willing to go. I am willing to die. I will drink the cup. So Jesus humbles Himself for us. He washes our feet. Hear what Paul has to say in Philippians 2, verses 3-11. through Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who This is a child who is willing to be humble for your sake. To be born in a low place for your sake. To enter into this broken world for your sake. A humble servant. A humble king. So this child is before you this very morning. The humility of the Christ child is before you this morning. I will leave the throne room of grace and I will come for you and I will go to the cross and I will suffer. My body will be punished and my blood will be spilled so that through my body and my blood you can be redeemed. You can be saved. So this table is calling you this morning and it's saying come and find comfort and come find joy and come find hope and be reassured that Jesus redeems you through His body and His blood.